Chapter 4 The Bureau Pravis stood at the darkest part of Agent Martin's office in the J. Edgar Hoover building and observed the FBI's supervisor. Within minutes, he had deduced that Martin was a pathetic, insecure human always worrying about the limited power he held in his minuscule department. Martin's formula for self-gratification stemmed from how he would constantly demean his direct reports to elevate his sense of self-importance. Pravis was pleased that he had received boundless discretion in his investigation of Martin from all three of his superiors. They had expressed their displeasure with Martin's performance during the Iron Mountain, Benson Rockford debacle, and were soon to put him on the agent elimination list. Pravis figured Martin didn't know much about the global alert, since he would contacted the three immediately. But he hoped that investigating Martin would lead to something to further his investigation. Deciding that just watching wasn't enough, Pravis entered Martin, as he had in his previous investigations, hoping to learn something more. What he would do to Martin afterwards wasn't yet determined, but there was no way he was going to leave such a pathetic associate to Sheol unscathed. He was tempted to absorb Martin. It had been some time since Pravis had breathed through human lungs and experienced all the sensations associated with being a man. Martin shivered as he felt a chill course throughout his body. Pravis wasn't being gentle while entering him. Looking at his mug, Martin decided to get a fresh cup of coffee from the break room. When he got there, he saw two agents idly talking about nothing bureau-related. They were wasting his department's time. Placing the mug heavily on the table to get their attention, he looked at the two and motioned for them to get back to work with the flick of his head. Slackers, tired of all these rookies right out of the academy, he mumbled loudly as the agents quickly left. As he proceeded to fill his mug, another agent entered the break room with mug in hand and waited for her supervisor to finish. Being recently transferred to the department to fill the vacancy left by one of his top agents. The well-experienced female agent of seven years, with an impeccable track record, strived too hard to separate herself from her predecessor, Agent Carter. How's it going, sir? She asked, trying to break the awkward silence. Good. He mumbled as he added way too much non-dairy creamer to the mug. I'm just finishing up my reports from the last two cases and should have them on your desk shortly, she said, obviously pleased with herself and hoping to further the gap with the Agent Carter comparisons she overheard much too often. Yep, said Martin, taking a sip. Pleased with the taste, he proceeded to leave the break room without another word. Sir, I'm sorry, but can I please have a moment of your time? Martin stopped, took another sip from his mug, and turned around. What's in your mind? He said, disinterested. Not being deterred, the female agent continued. Sir, I was wondering if you would mind giving me some feedback on how you view my progress this far in the department. Progress? Yes, it's important for me to know what areas you're pleased with and any area I need to. Um, work on to meet your expectations. Martin deliberately took his time in answering by blowing air on the coffee to cool it several times. Why? 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 I understand, she said, obviously shaken by his response. Martin sighed out loud. Why can't you wait until your biannual review like everyone else? He was getting to her and enjoying every second of it. The female agent's eyes widened as she wondered if she'd asked the question at the wrong time. She'd had no idea asking that question would upset her supervisor. Sir, I meant no offense. I'm new here and just thought it would have been a good idea to get a little feedback. That's all. None taken. Martin said after taking a long sip from the mug. Just continue to do your work. 
You'll get your review like everyone else in my department. No special reviews for newbies. Now, is there anything else? Um, no, no sir. Thank you sir, she said quickly as she left the room, forgetting to take her empty mug with her. Martin smiled as he watched the new agent leave quickly. Then he nearly dropped his mug when another wave of cold surged through his body. He quickly put his mug on the counter as his hands began to shake. Reaching for the nearest chair, he managed to sit down and wondered if he was coming down with something. For a few seconds, he felt as though his body temperature were dropping, and he couldn't stop his hands from shaking. Inexplicably, it ended, as if nothing had ever happened. He sat there for a couple of minutes to steady himself before standing, grabbing his coffee, and walking quickly to his office. After closing his door, he sat at his desk and wondered if he should take it easy or maybe make a doctor's appointment. Concluding that he was just stressed, he decided to slow down for the rest of the day and see whether his condition improved. Trying to relax, he began to think about the new agent and how she would never match the looks of agents C. Cole Lee and Carter. It was as if someone was aware of his wandering eyes and went out of their way to send androgynous-looking replacements. Martin continued to think on the two transferred agents as he sipped his coffee. Unbeknownst to him, Travis was listening to his inner thoughts. The fallen angel immediately added the names of the two female agents Martin dwelt onto the list of people to investigate later. After he was done with Martin, of course. Agent Brooke C. Coley stretched her arms and gave a silent yawn as she sat at her desk. It was still early in the afternoon and she had 10 more resumes to look at before her meeting with Keiko. So far, their department consisted of three people, her, Keiko, and their administrative assistant. They'd been approved for a total of 10 people, including herself, of course, but Keiko wasn't making it easy adding the others since she wanted a good mixture from various departments. Keiko wanted a couple specializing in cyberterrorism, two dealing with domestic intelligence activities, another two for international intelligence activities, one strong in the field of physical chemistry, one proficient in quantum physics, and the last was someone on the cutting edge of nanotechnology. Brooke blinked several times and yawned again. Her last several hours had been filled with looking at dossiers and resumes of FBI agents, representatives from the NSA, citizens from various backgrounds expressing interest in being either consultants or working for Homeland Security, and even scientists having worked for DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Brooke was shocked at the number of professors, research scientists, and other professionals pledging their services to Homeland Security if ever needed. She shook her head as she considered what their department would look like when completed. A bunch of eggheads, she thought. No biologists were on the list of people to be interviewed, since she and Keiko had experience to cover that. Even with that, she felt the least educated in the group, with only a master's degree. Keiko encouraged her by saying she was perfect to supervise the group, since she had a natural propensity in managing people, but Brooke still had her doubts. She could foresee this group being filled with a bunch of egos with long, drawn-out meetings crammed with intellectual mumbo-jumbo. She just hoped she'd not let Keiko down. League of Marvel Superheroes, she mumbled. Let's see. I can be Susan Richards, the invisible girl from the Fantastic Four. Keiko can be Aurora Wunro, Storm from the X-Men, and we'll name our group the Homeland Enforcers. Ha! Brooke glanced at the resumes on her desk. More like the Geek Squad. Oh boy! This is killing me. Rising from her chair, she walked over to where the administrative assistant would be once her three-week holdover 
from her current position in the bureau was over. She took the few steps needed to reach the break room. Once there, she placed a cup for hazelnut coffee into the single cup dispenser and waited for the liquid to fill her cup. After adding three packets of sugar, she turned and almost bumped into Keiko. Kay, what the? You're lucky I'm holding coffee or I would've pulled my gun on ya. Yeah. Keiko smiled. All of this empty space, and we still managed to almost bump into each other. How's it going? Bored out of my damn mind. I never thought so much work went into starting up an apartment, said Brooke. I think I might have to take a couple of migraine pills with this coffee before I look at those civilian resumes again. Half of the things on them, I have no freaking idea what they're talking about. I know, they're all specialists in their fields. The best I can do is get a rudimentary grasp of their work, said Keiko. Then how the heck are we supposed to pick the right people? Brooke asked. They've already been screened for their abilities and passed their polygraph tests. At this point, we should consider all of them capable and look for a group of individuals that would gel well as a team, said Keiko as she selected hot water on the dispenser. And those resumes are going to give me that insight? Brooke asked sarcastically. Yep. Kay, that's crazy. Not really. Once we select a few of them to come in for an interview, we'll get a better idea on what type of person they are. And if we're not happy with what we see, then we just start over again, she said. Brooke took a sip of coffee and then sat on a nearby chair. She rubbed her forehead with her palm and yawned, you know, it would have been easier to just have all bureau personnel. Heck, even CIA, though I could never trust those guys, are well-versed in these areas. Why these eggheads? Keiko leaned against the counter where the coffee maker was, placed her cup down, and folded her arms. She knew Brooke was feeling out of her element and having doubts about her role in the department, but Keiko was more than confident that her friend was perfect for the job. Once Brooke's confidence matched what Keiko believed she could do, it wouldn't matter who was part of the group. Keiko just hoped that Brooke reached that place before the group was up and running. You know our group is slotted to be a flexible, multi-tactile group, able to determine any unconventional domestic or international threat. There may be other clandestine projects out there, not so similar to what we discovered from the Iron Mountain case. Threats don't have to be biological in nature, but we have to have the people available with the expertise to detect these new generation, high technological threats. Even though this may be a pain in the butt to start up, what we're doing is extremely important. I fear what could have happened if that global alert hadn't gone out. And as we speak, there may be a group out there doing cutting-edge terrorism, and we have to be as close to the edge as possible to root them out. Brooke took a deep breath. I know, but seriously, nothing was found after the alert. How do we know it was for real and not just a big hoax? Keiko knew she had gone over this in detail with Brooke before. She reasoned that Brooke was just going through a funk and needed to be reassured. Nothing was found from the alert, but the evidence we've acquired from Gensum was enough for us to put this department together. It's better to be prepared for such a situation than not at all, said Keiko. Prevention is the best medicine, Brooke mumbled. Right, Keiko said, and we have the responsibility to root out any group if it exists and prevent the creation or utilization of such new tech weapons of mass destruction. Brooke smiled, took another sip of coffee, and looked at her friend. You're getting good at this. At what? At being an assistant director. You were made for this, Kate. It's good to see the right people in the right place, unlike Mr. Martin. I'm so glad I'm not there anymore. I've heard he became even more of a tyrant after our transfers and promotions, 
It must burn him that you leaped over him, and I'm now at his same grade level, said Brooke as the cloud above her slowly dissipated. Agent John Martin no longer matters to me. He's in my past and remains there, Keiko said coolly. Ouch, said Brooke. Keiko looked at her curiously. You okay? Brooke stood up and stretched. Yeah, I'm good. I just remembered something my grandmother told me. Once in a while, you should always look behind you, for one day the past may bite you in your butt if you ignore it for too long. Keiko rolled her eyes and smirked. Whatever. You ready to tackle those resumes now? Yes, ma'am. Brooke said as she saluted Keiko. We're the first, last, and only line of defense against the scum of the universe. Keiko laughed and shoved Brooke out of the break room. We're not men in black. Now get back to work. Martin looked at his watch, and he had only one report from the new female agent left to finish. He was bothered by her work, since both her field work and report writing reminded him so much of Agent Carter. They were spotless. The last thing he needed was an upstart female agent trying to make a name for herself. He had already been bruised by two such individuals skipping over his pond, and he would be damned if he let another one get the better of him. He dwelled on how those changes seemed to happen right after Keiko mysteriously contacted the intelligence community, commonly called the IC, which fell under the Director of National Intelligence, or the DNI. What it had to do with the deaths of the cult's followers of Prophet Barabbas, he had no idea. But whatever it was, it had been deemed classified, and the agents transferred to the other side of the building for reassignment. Even the department to which they were transferred to was considered classified. Martin straightened in his chair and knew what he had to do. He was going to put this new agent in her place. He would set up a meeting with her this afternoon and tear apart her report, have her do it over again, and assign a less experienced agent to supervise her work. There was no way he was ever going to let another agent Keiko Carter arise underneath him again. That's it. That has to be it. Agent Martin grabbed his head as the words brought excruciating pain in his temples. He frantically looked around in his office, despite knowing no one was there. The IC has a lot of government agencies reporting to the DNI. This has to be the link, said Previs inside Martin's mind. The throbbing grew worse. What's going on? I'm sick. I'm not good. Martin mumbled as he began to feel sick to his stomach. I, I'm hearing things. This Keiko Carter must be the key, said Pravis. Martin's shaky hand reached for the telephone. Got a call? Emergency. Services, he said with a barely audible voice. Shut up, Warren. Nearly screaming from the pain, Martin's mouth immediately closed shut, and his hands fell to his side. You should have told Ray's about this, but you're probably too stupid to realize how important it was. Martin's eyes wildly scanned the room to see who was talking. At this point, the rest of his body was completely paralyzed. Was he having a stroke? You keep on thinking that, Pravis said. I need to know everything you know about this woman, Keiko Carter, and there's only one way to do that. Pravis revealed himself to Martin in his mind's eye and smiled at Martin's fearful reaction. I'm going to keep a small part of you alive within me after I take over. That way you can watch and see everything that happens, but you won't be able to do anything. This is your punishment for being so dull. As far as I can see, it's your fault I'm here. If only you mentioned the actions of this woman to raise, others would be doing this menial task besides me. Martin's eyes turned completely white, his body trembled, and a trickle of blood started to flow from his nostrils. 
This all lasted for a few seconds until the possession was complete. Travis was now in control of Martin. With complete knowledge of Martin's interactions with Keiko Carter, Travis began devising a plan for Martin's body. Willing Martin's body to stand, Travis walked to the filing cabinet and found the folder labeled Children of Barabbas and started reading it. It had been written by Keiko Carter.